Well, good morning. Find your place in Psalm 68 this morning. If you're our guest, whether online or in person, uh, we have been in Psalm 68 for a couple of weeks. Uh, So we're finishing up Psalm 68. We're going to be starting in verse 19 in just a minute. Uh, But before we start, let me just say this, just tell you what uh, the Lord's been directing me. You see here, every week um, we have an order of service. It's, it's here, it's back there. Um, but as your pastor, let me just say this publicly. Um, it is not my desire, nor Micah's, to quench the Holy Spirit by following some piece of paper. Okay, so we're going to preach the gospel. Um, but... It, If in prayer we need to take more time to pray now or in the future, that's what we're going to do. Micah's not going to cut out music. If you need to leave because of your bladder or because of a job, we understand that. I really understand it. Okay, so, but let's not quench the Holy Spirit when he's working among us. Let's hear from God's word and let's let's pray to the God of heavens. That's That's why we gather here, to hear and to respond. And so let's stand And let's worship our Lord through the reading of God's Word. I'm not skipping any verses this morning either. Uh, Let's look at verse 19. That's where we left off. Psalm 68, beginning at verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs deliverances from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood. That the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from the foe. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King in the, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God in the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are the Israel's fountain. There is Benjamin, the least of them, in the lead the princes of Judah in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God, the power, O God, for which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, the kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herds of bulls and the calves of the peoples. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdom of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. This 
is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, what a glorious word this is today. Many of us have gathered up from a hard, tiring week. (laughs) Me and my brother was talking the other day. Oh, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. But, Lord, we are still here. And so, Lord, we have gathered your people today to hear, to see, and to experience the power of God in our life, in this church, in this community. And so, Lord, make us ready. Sharpen our swords. May we leave behind that which needs to be left behind. And may we press forward for that which needs to be moved forward. May we take a ground that which needs to be taken this morning. And we do it in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So, David in Psalm 68 is on a journey in his mind through this psalm, through this song. A journey that began in, in Egypt as slaves and how it went first, remember, to Mount Sinai. And now, now he is celebrating the culmination of this journey as the Ark of the Covenant comes into Jerusalem, into Zion. There is a word we need to learn this morning, and the word is consummation. Consummation. It's not a word you use every day, and I know that. It just means completion, fulfillment, fulfillment, even perfection. It means when something has consummated, it has reached unintended, a designed goal. There's no greater picture of consummation than marriage. No greater picture. It God intended. I, I, I say this again. I appreciate Pastor Micah. That's why we have a pastor leading worship. He he exposits God's word along with me. That's why we everything you're going to notice that we got through singing and will sing is right here in the text this morning. He, we did that because he studied God's word along with me this week. And that's why there's no greater picture than that of marriage. Marriage is the end of one thing and the beginning of something else. And if following God's design is intended to be this, the end of one thing that was good but the beginning of something that is greater. How sad it is in our culture that we have left God's standard and God's will and wonder why consummation never comes. Intimacy, brothers and sisters, is a gift from God. So when does our journey consummate? You know, when does it reach its design goal? Uh, when, it's the best way I can say this, is. When will everything that is wrong be made right? When will wars cease and sins cease? And when, when will we all have to stop worrying about getting old and going to the doctor and getting those diagnoses? And when is that, that going to stop? What I want you to do today is, is just to give you just a little snapshot of our consummation. David wants us to see that the God of our past journey is the God of our future destiny. And so, let's praise the Lord because our salvation is sure. I want you to see that the Lord, that the King, our King, the Lord, is the King of deliverance. Our deliverance. But He's also a King of their destruction. And He's the King of His church. 
first deliverance. Notice verse 19. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Now, in this psalm, if you look at it, it's hard to see it. You, you would have to study it a little bit more in depth. But verse 19 is actually the benediction of this psalm. And he, David must have been a preacher. You know, he says, I just got one more point, but he was nowhere near done. Because he's nowhere near done. You flip the page. In my Bible, you got to flip the page. Or you just look after 19. It goes all the way down to 35. He's not done. But he's got a purpose for everything that he says after verse 19 is connected to everything he has already said from, from verses 1 down to verse 18. And we'll look at that. But notice the blessing that went to the Lord. The Lord... His God has a name. His name is Yahweh. We, we know that name is Jesus. You remember uh, Jesus and the Pharisees. In John chapter 8 and verse 53, the Pharisees tell Jesus and says, Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Of him you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not even 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. The Pharisees, his enemies, knew who he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be Yahweh. He was claiming to be the I am. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be Yahweh. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ. It is that king that saves us from our yesterdays. The same king, listen, that saved them from their yesterdays is the same king that saved you from yours. It's no difference. He daily bears us up. Do you see it? He has saved us in the past, and he is saving us right now as we sit in this chair. And so daily, you see that word daily? That's from sunset to sunset, everything in between. Not a moment, not a second, that he's not saving us, that he is not holding us, carrying us up. This, this points to God's holistic care, his complete care for his people. Psalms 121.4, it's not in your notes, I don't think, says this, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. When we pass out from exhaustion, our Lord is keeping us, carrying us. But even, check this out. You need to go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 46 and uh, save your place there. We're going to come right back to it here in just a little bit. Isaiah 46.3. Isaiah 46.3. Listen to what he says. Don't overthink this. This is pretty straightforward. It says, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnants of the house of Israel. 
who have been born by me from before your birth carried from the womb. What does that mean? Before you were born, God knew you. He carried you. That means to lift up. Before you were here, before you took your first drop of air, He knew you. He's carried you since then. That's important to understand for the future. you got to understand that from the start. I carried you, that's what we've been talking about, isn't it? As a father carries a child, I defended you as a warrior defends his country. I loved you as a king leads his army. That's our God. He knew you. He carries you. And since that's true, the God that saves us in our yesterdays will save us in our tomorrows. Starts before the very foundation of the world. And he ends. Never. The king will save us in our Mars. Verse 20. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God the Lord belongs deliverances from death. Two words there that are key in that verse. Salvation and deliverances. Both of them plural. So verse 20. Remember I told you they were connected? So verse 20 is connected to verse 18. Verse 18 says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. The God who is victorious is the God who will keep us safe in the future. He is the one that brings salvation. He will the one who brings deliverances. Salvation, if we could say salvations. It's plural. Deliverances. From whatever. To be His is to be safe. That's what he's saying. Holistically safe. He has shown us, shown them, I am your Savior, so trust in me. Therefore, they expect Him to save in the future. That's, that's what He's saying. You can expect it. I have a proven track record. The theme of the Bible is salvation comes from the Lord. This is not some kind of philosophical mantra we put on our t-shirts. This is the only hope we have. That the God who saved them is the God who saved us. And the God who saved us will save the generations that come after us. It's the only hope we have. And we have it as we will sing in a little while because He has risen. But, but look, if you still have Isaiah 46 marked. He says, the Lord cared for, with you from the womb. But notice what He says in verse 4. Of Isaiah 46. He, oh, notice the I am's. Don't miss that. Even to your old age, I am He. And to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save. Praise the Lord. The King who has saved us. He's the king of our yesterdays. He's the king of our tomorrows. And listen, that's the one who's coming again. That's the one who's coming again. He's coming again. Listen, we are already his citizens. We are his children. Philippians 3.20 makes it absolutely clear. It, It shows us our consummation as well. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven. 
And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. One day he's going to set up a kingdom. And in that kingdom, we will have glorified bodies just like Jesus' resurrected glorified body. We are saved from something, and we are saved to something. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says this, just listen. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Now listen to the from to. How you turned from God, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He saves us from wrath. What is that? We're going to talk about that in a minute. What I'm about to talk about is something that if you're saved, you're delivered from. But He also saved us for something today. Do you see it? To stop worshiping at the idols of man and of stuff. Begin to serve the living God. That's how we wait. Waiting is not an idle activity. Hadn't we been saying that for weeks? It's active. We will be, brothers and sisters, fully and finally saved. Let me just read this to you. Notice with me. I'm going to read Revelation 19, verse 11. And you tell me. What is the difference between this and the incarnation when he came the first time? Just listen. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven are raised in fine linen, white and pure, followed him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's the Jesus that came the first time. And when he comes the second time, listen, he is coming both for the, our deliverances, but he is also coming for their destruction. We see this in verses 21 to 23. The king has enemies. The preserver is the destroyer. The psalmist assumes that these enemies are people. If you look at verse 21, you see it. They are people who walk in his guilty ways. They are people who say, I am not going to follow him. They are his enemies. And here's what he said he's going to do. I'm just reading. I'm also connecting the verses above. Everyone connects. Verse 21 Look at it in Psalm 68. It says he's going to crush his enemies. You see it? Now look back up at verse 17. That's the connecting verse. How is he going to connect them? He's going to connect them with his army. You see those chariots in there? Verse 22. 
says he will gather his enemies. He will draw them to the slaughter. It connects with verse 15. From the highest mountain to the deepest sea. In other words, when the Lord comes back, he's going to have a divine broom. And he is going to sweep up his enemies from every corner of this universe. And there will be nowhere to escape. That's what he says in Revelation 6, 16. Let me just read it to you. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the the throne from the wrath of the Lamb, from the great day of the wrath of the wrath has come. Who can stand? He's going to strike down the mightiest, verse 23. That connects to verse 13. And what he's going to do is he's going to share the spoils with the weak. Jesus came the first time, including right now, to set the prisoners free. So that the gospel can free people in Jesus' name to serve him. He's coming the second time to bring the whole universe under his perfect justice. Listen, whatever has happened in your life, you need to hear this today. The king of kings will make all things right. Listen, that's our worldview. That's our story. That's the picture of the whole Bible in a nutshell. The king of kings will come and he's going to make all things right. He's got a broom in his hand when he comes and he's going to sweep it all up. There will be separation, there will be reckoning, and there will be reward. Let me just give you a glimpse of this. The great separation we can see in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And By the way, if you, you wonder where your pastor stands on his eschatology, some of these verses for me are, are, are pretty simple and pretty clear. First, Matthew 25 verse 31 says this. When the Son of Man comes in His glory... And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations. You see the sweeping up of the nations here? They will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. Then the king will, who will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now look down with me at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There is a great separation, and there is a great reckoning. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. 
And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There is a book of life. That doesn't mean that God has an actual book with thing, people written in their names. He's telling you that God is omniscient. God knows who are His. He knows who His people are, and He knows who His enemies are. And there is coming a day when He will make all things right, and there's also coming a day where He's going to reward. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says this, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, And after that comes judgment. So Christ, having offered once to bear the sins of many, will, listen, it's good news, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. That's good news. Don't let these judgment passages bother you, Christian. That should raise you to praise. Our God's going to do what's right. Matthew 13, verse 41. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, and only then, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. If you got an ear, you better listen. Jesus is the Lord. Amen? And He is the King of His church. He is the King of His people. That's why they're praising Him in verse 24. Back to Psalm 68. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. Now verse 24 connects with verse 12. The King is only in a procession because there's been a victory. That's That's why... David's connecting these two verses together. There was a battle, and there was a victory. And because there is a victory, the king now comes in victorious. There again, David has in his mind this amazing point in history for him when they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant up the hill to Zion on those poles, and they are singing and dancing and worshiping God. I don't know about you, but you remember David's wife? You remember her? You need to go back and read that story. She's sitting upstairs looking down. And everybody's dancing. David's dancing. What does she do? She scorned him in her heart. I don't want to be one of those kind of worshipers, do you? It's good news today. One guy said it this way. If the Lord overflows with grace... We should overflow with gratitude. We should overflow with gratitude. Singers sing, verse 25, connects with a victory song. They've got something to sing about. That's why we sing. That's why Christians are singing people. We have something to sing about. Moses had a song. He sang a song because God gave him victory. God saved his people once again. So he sang a song. 
Verse 25, the singers sing in front, the musicians in last. Between them, the virgins play in tambourines. Verse 26 says, Blessed, Bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are Israel's fountain. That connects, by the way, to verses 7 to 10. The king's people are being led from captivity to victory. Remember, in the new covenant, those who were once enslaved are led, set free, set on mission. I want you to see something, though. You remember last week we talked about those silver trumpets? The silver trumpets that was, that was in the tabernacle. It was used to call people to a congregation, to call to a meeting, or to call to war. Psalms 47, verse 5 and 6 says, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is a King over all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. I just wanted to, I just thought about that trumpet. Just listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those others do with no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we are alive that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of Lord Jesus, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these. This is what our Lord is doing. This is the, what the king is going to do. This is what it's going to sound like when he comes. And this is the comfort in all these times and funerals that we've had to be a part of and all those funerals that we have to go through still yet. Our God, our king is risen and he's going to raise them up. He promises it. And what he's done in the past proves us we can trust him in the future. The king then is celebrated by his people. Past, present, future, all in his hands. And we, we in, in gratefulness come and we worship him individually, corporately. Verse 29 says, Because of your temple at Jerusalem, the king shall bear you gifts. Interesting enough, that connects with verse 5 and 6. If you look up there in the Psalm 68, you'll see that's the father of the fatherless passage. He receives from the greatest, and he blesses the least. Mm. Look, listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 19, verse 28. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is his kingdom economy that was proclaimed by David, proclaimed by our Lord Jesus. This is the kingdom economy. This king is the Lord of all. Ephesians 4 4 says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, and over all, and through all, and in all. So what? Is this what I'm living and longing for? Are you confident For your future hope in Him or in what you can do or in what the doctors have said or is your confidence in Him who has carried you from before the foundation of the world to today? Our consummation, you see, is also our commencement. With death comes life. For did not our Lord say in John 12, 22, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Let us praise the Lord as we wait. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 orients us to the resurrection. We've got a reason to praise. We're not praising some guy in some book we read. We're not praising some dead guy who did moral things. He's not some kind of moral, simply a moral standard by which we live. He is king of all. He's God. And if he's not, then we're worshiping the wrong things and we're wasting our time. But if he is, he deserves everything. Here's what he says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. That's the New Living Translation. It's good, isn't it? Always read your Bible in two translations. Matter of fact, we praise the Lord for what we've just said. That when the consummated kingdom comes, There's not going to be any injustice left in this world. Verse 24 of Matthew, of of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says this. After that, the end will come. And he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, authority, and power. 
That's the consummation. That's the end of our story. Jesus will make it right. That which he started right in the beginning, he will bring it to completion, to consummation, and then commences what will start. The new heavens and the new earth. Let us pursue holiness. That's the point. That's where they always land in the Bible. Since these things are happening, turn with me to Isaiah 65. I had a couple other things I wanted to say, but I just want, to, just want you to see this. These, these prophets are hard to read sometimes. But if you don't do the hard work of reading, what you will miss is the prophetic telling you what's coming. And these things comfort our soul. They even show us our Jesus. Let me show you. Isaiah 65, look at verse 9. It says, I will bring forth offspring from Jacob, and from Judah possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it, and my servant shall dwell there. So question, who came from Jacob from the tribe of Judah? Jesus. Jesus is the offspring. That's what Galatians says, isn't it? There is only one seed. When you read your Bible, that's what we're always looking for. Where's the seed? He's preserving. He's protecting it all the way to the end. Hope comes through both through judgment and salvation through this seed. But listen, where he goes. Now look down at verse 17, just a few verses later. He's given Israel hope here. And look at where he goes. For behold, I am giving you a big house and no pain. Is that what it said? No. Just just making sure y'all are still awake, you know. It's not it. That's not a promise in the Bible. Here's what we can promise. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sounds of weeping and the cry of distress. Verse 20. No more shall there be in it infants who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days or a young man who dies at a hundred years old and the sinner of a hundred years old shall be accursed. Let me just pause here for a second. This is figurative language to say that the new heavens and the new earth are not going to be anything like what we experience here. There's not going to be any death. I lost one of my children in the womb. No more of that. His days are gone. New has come. No more funerals. No more cancer. There shall be built houses, verse 21, and inhabit them. It's a place. They shall plant vineyards and eat. There's going to be a work. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. No more thieving. No more greed. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall, shall long to enjoy the work of their hands. 
They shall labor that they shall not labor in vain or build children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, listen, this is good. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the dust shall be the serpents for food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is a description of what the new heaven and new earth feels like. Is like. It's going to be a place. We're not floating around on the clouds. We're going to have a glorified body where we, where we work and where we enjoy it. The toil is gone. Therefore, that's what Peter says. Therefore, 2 Peter 3.11 says, Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should we be? Looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away with flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. He has promised a world filled with God's righteousness. I love what he tacks on here. Look down at verse 15. He says, oh yeah. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. In other words, Jesus has not come, and so our work is not done. And so let us labor with the confidence of the one who holds our future in his hands. And let us finish the mission he's given us to do. Let's pray together. So, Lord, this is a glorious of which we, we can only, Lord, if we studied it for the years, we can only see but a snapshot of that which awaits your children. So, Lord, I pray today for those that are sitting here that may not be your child. Today is the day of salvation. The Lord has shed his blood so that they might be free, God. You know that it was your plan. And it's our responsibility to proclaim it. And so, Lord, we pray through the power of the Holy Spirit as we sing that you would save the lost, that you would bring back the wandering, that you would comfort the discouraged. Lord, we need you. Now we just want to respond to you in worship. Respond to you as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords. And so, Lord, we have gathered before us a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, of his work that he did for us. And we do not come to the tables in an unworthy way. We come claiming the blood of Christ. It took away our sins and that we'll take away it right now when we say, Lord, for my lack of faith, I repent. For my fear, please forgive me. For my neglect, for that which is precious, to worry about that which is trifling, forgive us. 
And thank you for the cross that at this moment takes away the guilt and the shame of those sins. Never to be reminded again, oh God, what a great Savior you are. And when we come to the tables, we are celebrating, we are worshiping, we are remembering, we are communing with you who gave us such a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And so our gifts, our simple expressions of our grateful hearts and our communion together is a celebration that all who put the bread to their mouth and all that who put the cup to their lips are children of God and are safe forever. Move among us, we pray in Jesus' name.